we're thankful for this word. We're thankful for our opportunities, our freedoms to do so. Keep it that way for our country, Lord. We'd ask for that blessing. We'd ask that you would uh, keep us sane. In your son's name, amen. Um, a few weeks ago, maybe four or five weeks ago, I preached a sermon of, about the distinction, just part of it was about the distinction between agreement and belief. And sort of that thought sort of was continuing to net, you know, gnaw at me as, as anyone who is trying to encourage the saints to a more successful Christian life. Um, prayer life, righteousness, all the rest, uh, faith, and how well you do it is of some moment. And so I did a real dangerous thing, because you know I prepare sermons on Sunday morning. Get up at 6.30, get some, Leslie makes coffee, and I go sit in the library and, and come up with something. Occasionally something suggests itself to me the day before, and this was a real dangerous moment because I, um, I was lying in bed, head on the pillow, CPAP machine blowing 40 knots of wind up my nose, and I thought to myself, I know, this is intriguing. What if, and came up with this thought, and I said, what verse, what passage would I go to? And I came up with a passage and fell asleep. I woke up in the morning and I thought, what did I think of last night? But I managed to grasp it, kind of an adventure. It's all that pastors get, you know, it's, it's just, wow, the way I thought of a sermon. You were saying to yourself as you looked at the notes when it says fairies and gravity on the first thing on the on the other side. Then UFOs and celestials. Fairies and gravity is an old illustration of mine. UFOs and celestials is a current topic because the feds have been releasing data about the UFOs. And so consequently anybody who's a flat earther wants to talk about UFOs. And the reason it's there is because um, it's, they're both of them experiences of the same thing. You don't know what gravity is. You're stuck, your butt in a pew, and you don't know why. You just know that you can continue to do it. Nothing is going to change. You're not going to suddenly float up to the ceiling. What was that scene in Mary Poppins where they were laughing? Um, it's not going to happen, only in the movies. Relativity theory thinks it's one thing. Newton would think it's another. You don't know. You play with magnets. You don't know what's going on. It's magic. Until someone suggests, suggests that gravity is actually fairies holding you down. Now, some of us need more fairies because all the physics tell you you should be flying into space with this sort of thing. So obviously more fairies for the, those of us of larger, more planetary mass need about 256 of them. Some of you need only 160, some even less than that. 
When people look at you and you suggest fairies as an explanation for gravity, like you've done something wrong. They don't know what it is. Why would they discount fairies? They can't offer you a, a, a nice tidy bundle of proofs that tell you what gravity is. It's fairies. Trust me on this. I'm a pastor. I know these things. How does that tie into the sermon? Well, let's try UFOs and celestials. UFOs. What are UFOs? Unidentified flying objects. And, of course, every American mind has seen enough movies where aliens popping out of your chest, whatever it is that you do, aliens, Mars attacks, something from Planet Nine, whatever it is, it's always other planetary aliens. That's what UFOs are. Well, it does, if it's unidentified, like gravity, you don't know what it is. So when the Christian might come up to the guy and say, well, I, I think they're probably seraphim or cherubim. They're running around in the skies in the Bible all the time. Why wouldn't they be running around in the skies nowadays? And you, because you don't believe in cherubim or seraphim, assign it something weird like aliens from another planet. Now, I'm not talking about those things, actually. I don't care about fairies and gravity. My own theory is that gravity is no thing. Talk to me later. Um, and I'm going on the celestial side of the UFO sighting, but again, that's not the content. It's why we think smugly that we're much more sensible when we don't know what we're talking about to reject something like fairies or celestials. Now, why is that? It's a, and it's, uh, this is the, the direction of the sermon. And we'll be looking at three different passages. Why we struggle with our belief in Jesus Christ why we struggle with our belief in the scriptures. You've all been in enough conversations with fellow believers who are a little weak on the nobility of the six-day creation. I know good friends of mine who are day-agers or theistic evolutionists. Christians struggle all the time. Some get so liberal that they think that the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ was only a metaphor. So, you know, it can get really ugly sometimes. Why is it happening? Because that's directly attacking your ability to claim the truth of what we claim. Central to the Gospels, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus the Christ, who is God himself. So we want to know how to get to that faith. It certainly isn't having a little card in your pocket or read through enough tracks or go to enough apologetic seminars where the arguments are strong enough, you're just, and you're again just agreeing with it, but not, you know you're not believing it. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, 
by God's power are guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Remember, it's guarded through faith. In this you rejoice, though for now for a little while you may have to suffer various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, which though perishable is tested by, by fire, may redound to praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we know what we're about this morning. We're about the genuineness of your faith. Remember, James tells you that even the demons believe and shudder. I mean, we're not, agreement is not what we're looking for. But we know that in other times, other circumstances, something in us wages war with our beliefs, especially with our metaphysical beliefs, <coughs> like with the fairies and like with the celestials. Because science, we're all for science. Science is a good thing. In fact, I have family members who are scientists. I wouldn't let my daughter marry one, but I mean, it's a, it's a good thing. It's a rational thing. It's a, it's a pursuit of knowing. And yet, we know something has happened in our world. And I, I'm, I'm trying to help us understand what it is, where the handles are on this. What it is and how the handles are adjustable so that you can examine your faith, so that the genuineness of it is a is a known commodity. You know what you're about and what you're believing. Verse 8 says, Without having seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with unutterable and exalted joy. This is, this is the genuineness of faith. Loving the unmet Believing in the unmet, rejoicing in the unmet. At a level of not just what the worship team can work you up into, if we had a worship team. Unutterable joy, exalted joy. So we're looking for that, right? Because you also know that when you go to your knees before God to ask for something, your faith matters. You asked for your salvation. And many people, did, did I have the faith to get saved? Well, I don't know. Was your faith genuine? We were talking about children getting saved the other day and how the genuineness of their little innocent prayers is not always genuine, not always remembered. As the outcome of your faith, you obtain the salvation of your souls. So consequently, there's a lot riding on this. The distinction between agreement and belief. There are a lot of things, and I'm not saying this is what we're going to talk about this morning, is that this is a, uh, is a tidy, uh, complete handling. I think there's a lot of ways we approach faith that are unhealthy, and we don't know we're not believing until too late. 
it's, it happens in the church a lot where people believe in the belief of their pastor. And the pastor is believing in the strength of belief in C.S. Lewis or Charles Spurgeon. You know, uh, it, nobody is believing. Everybody's believing in somebody else's belief. They trust that person to some priestly way carry their faith together. So there's all sorts of, um, man's heart is deceptively wicked. We're deceitful to ourselves. But that's not what we're talking about this morning. This is one aspect that might be good for you to examine. Verse 10. The prophets who prophesied of the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired about this salvation. They inquired what person or time was indicated by the Spirit of Christ within them when they predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things which have now been announced to you by those who preach the good news to you through the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Therefore, gird up your minds. Be sober. Set your hope fully upon the grace that is coming to you with the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, You see the statements like that of the gospel, just like, wow. Back in the Jesus people days, those of us who were alive and involved and the like, you saw a number of things. One was the phrase, the New Testament church. Everybody was, man, wow, we could just get the New Testament church. You read the Bible, you go, mm, we don't want the New Testament church. They weren't, you might say, any more obedient or any more easy to work with than us. Just different probably. But people read the apostles. Here is Peter. And Peter's not a, you might say, an educated man, but my gosh, it, maybe it's the RSV translators, because it is a good translation. Um, just do a real good job with uh, Peter's bad Greek. But state some, state some wonderful things about the gospel that we have. And you know that in your heart of hearts, as you individually walk home from church, drive home from church, and don't talk to your roommates or your spouse about it, you just maybe think a little bit about how you believe, the degree to what you believe, and how genuine your faith, and you're a little concerned that it might not be what it ought to be. Was it enough to save you? Have you asked yourself some questions recently about whether or not either yourself or you, you yourself or a friend of yours who isn't doing well spiritually is actually a Christian. You don't want to accuse anybody. There's no way you can know. But you can lose your assurance about yourself. You can lose your assurance about your friend. What happens that I want you to watch out for Christianity becomes, I have three words up here, it's a disbelief of tourism, nostalgia, and LARPing. We pretend that we're magicians. We pretend that we're elves. 
not this church, maybe. Some churches, you know, Kyle was sharing comically that some churches are like dwarves and some churches are like elves. So the question is, what is All Souls Christian? We'd like to lay claim to the Bombadillians. Now, that's all too geeky. That's all too dorky. Why? Because you know that in some worlds, people love pretending to be something that really intrigues them. Some people look back in time at a historic period. Remember when Victorian things were coming on strong? Victorian homes, Victorian furniture, because, you know, Victorian furniture holds up food better. And we suddenly shocked to realize that young people today, and I look at you, John, where words like mid-century modern become, you know, every other word. <laughs> the other word is like. Mid-century modern, what fresh hell did that come out of? Or tourism. I hate Disneyland. I've been there. Why do I hate Disneyland? It's a fake castle. It's chicken wire and concrete. Only a child, let me remind you of this, only a child would be deceived. But why do we like touristic things like that? Why do we like nostalgia? Why, what, what's, what's the LARPing going on in you? When the people go out there in the East City Park and fight with foam swords, calling themselves Slothgar or something like that, the merciless, and really he is neckbeard of whatever street. Why? It's often what we do in the church. The form of belief where you stand somewhere else to look at the thing you believe in and don't realize that that vantage point is not your real, is not, is your real point and the thing looked at touristically, nostalgically, or in a LARPing entertainment, where you like to pretend that you're a, you're a really believing Christian and sing the songs. Or it goes way back in time and the nostalgia of the early church or the 1500s for the Reformation or whatever it is you, you latch onto, you try to mimic a nostalgia or you visit something that erects a, enough similarities to what you believe, but you're still living in something else. Your, your vantage point isn't belief. Your vantage point, frankly, is disbelief. You worry about a guy who finally believes he's Conan the Barbarian up on East City Park playing with a foam sword. Well, you wouldn't want that to happen, right? Because that's not sensible. That's believing that fairies cause gravity. We know very well what the true faith ought to be. The true faith, the true faith is what the world crafted and handed to you. Oh, it's not a religion. It may have some religious elements to it, but it's the way the world thinks about everything. And we've accepted it. 
Verse 13. This is the kind of the verse I was in this passage for. 13 and 14. Therefore, gird up your minds, be sober, set your hope fully on the grace that is coming to you with the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is one of my favorite set of verses. I refer, maybe you say, I've heard that come out of your mouth before. That's because it's one of my favorite scriptures. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Okay? Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Peter's saying, the what you believe, the vantage point you held that you just assumed because you grew up thinking it, you were playing with Legos one day, and suddenly everything clicked in your mind that you were solid, secular materialist. Not because of the Legos. That was just the seed. You accepted it. You didn't have to walk the aisle. didn't have to sing any secular humanist hymns. You believed the world was the way they said it was. And in some cases, they were right. They were right enough to have you go along with the whole thing. Man, in basic life philosophy, pulls together as best they can a claim, a set of evaluations, a claim about the world, and we share with each other, and this whole society shares with each other. We create colleges and master's degrees and doctoral degrees, all are divined to write up a theory of something where, which can change how the world is. That's the one we don't see. That's the one we don't realize we're standing in. It's the passions of our former ignorance. We didn't know. We let somebody tell us. It was just fine because everybody agrees that the world is a sphere. I, I told you this before, my astronomy prof years ago. It may have changed since then, but and this, this is the probably late 70s, which seems like just, uh, you know, a few years ago. Non-Christian astronomy prof looking at a class of freshmen, maybe 300 of them, telling them that the heliocentric model of the solar system was just a theory. That the geocentric model, geocentric model was just as good a theory. The math was more difficult, but it was more just as predictable. The ancients used it and it worked. And the audience is shocked because every book and every, their world, the world. We have beliefs. They didn't, they, they didn't know they had this belief. They had never proved that we went around the sun. Every bit of evidence they had walking out their front door in the morning was the sun came up over there and went down over there. We weren't moving. It was moving. Every bit of personal information. And yet, their third grade teacher probably made them make a model of the solar system. Now, I have no objection to the heliocentric model, just like I have no objection to gravity being actually something to do with mass rather than no thing or fairies. I have no objection. But you need to know that's going on in your head because you will have, when you face the beliefs about Jesus Christ, when you face the beliefs about what God has done in history, you're going to be standing at a vantage point and not realizing that part of your struggle to get from agreement to belief is that you have a strong vantage point that very subconsciously challenges everything that is being said. 
will not give up the space. But as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you invoke as father him who judges each one impartially according to his deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. You know that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your fathers. Do you? Do you know you were ransomed from it? Your belief is not just, oh, here's a belief over here. It will save your soul. The soul, the, the, your soul was ransomed for, from other ideas. Futile ideas. Ideas that don't achieve anything for you and just become a vantage point of disbelief as you're struggling to believe in the things of God. you have ignorance built on passions. You have futile traditions that shape a world in which you stand. I mentioned four weeks ago, three weeks ago when I was preaching a sermon on this, that it's something that a lot of people don't understand. Uh, you'll see it some in confessional treatments of things, affirmations, and denial. A lot of people have never denied anything. They just carry it along as part of the baggage. They, they came to believe this in third grade, and they're going to believe it for the rest of their lives, and they'll have a switch that they'll turn off that says, my modern mentality about things is not here, I'm listening to the pastor at church, and he's saying other things, and I agree with him, but there are two categories, two selves, kind of a, a split personality. I will never give those things up. We're asked to not be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance, not be enslaved to the futile traditions of our fathers. Now, I know some of us disagree about this, but I, it's an example. Speaking at a conference many years ago in Virginia on something, but the illustration I used was my disagreement with the moral choice of the colonists to rebel against the king. Now, I know I've been in discussions with some of you. You, you think that it was supportable. I, I have no problem with that. But it horrified these people in Virginia because it was one of the colonies. And, you know, probably one half of their curriculum for their students was singing the praises of George and Jefferson and whatever else. And here I was going, this is unsupportable. St. Paul would condemn it. Now, they might be right, but let's, let's pretend they're not. Let's pretend my opponents are not right. Just leave it there. Let's go home. Um, the, that they're not right, but every aspect of the propaganda coming at you said they were. And you can't think straight. So when Jesus Christ or St. Paul says, do that, you go, 
but I, the Bill of Rights. Do that. Bill of Rights. Be aware that where you stand, you have to consider whether you have to deny it. Because it's going to affect your vision about where you're going. We're not to be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance. We have to know that denial, and I mean overt, overt denial, there has to be some of that, you know, romantically. Some of you have met the love of your life, your spouse, your, your dream gal, your dream guy. And so you're, you know, getting ready for the wedding and, you know, walking hand in hand through the Fort Russell neighborhood in the fall. And, you know, previous boyfriends come up. She had some. And she lets you know here a week before the wedding she's still in love with three of them. Maybe even just one. Oh, I'm very much in love with him. Say, hold it. Hold it. It's almost, it's almost a deal breaker, right? Maybe even be a deal breaker. She's still in love with a previous boyfriend. Not she had a previous boyfriend. She's still in love with the previous boyfriend. And she's marrying you because you seem to be an all right guy. Unhappiness. Um, well, we'd break off the relationship. Who wants to go into that? You, see, you blame God for going, I'm not sure about your faith. You're still in love with the previous girlfriend. You still want to be a secular materialist. You still want to be whatever it is, whatever world you're shaped by. You're willing to go LARP Christianity, but not believe it. Ephesians 4, 17. Now this I affirm and testify in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to licentiousness, greedy to practice every kind of uncleanness. You did not so learn Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Put off your old nature, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new nature created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. You have got to put off and put on. You're not just saying, what is the Christian theology I'm supposed to believe while I'm here on Sunday? What are the things I'm supposed to talk like I understand and care about when I'm talking to other people in the Sunday club that I attend? What do I put off? Your old nature, former manner of life, it's corrupt in its lusts, and renew your mind. The gain only is gain if you're not still in love with the previous boyfriend. The passage that I thought of 
just as dropping off to sleep was actually this last passage out of Romans 12, which you all know. Which sounded, you say, that sounds familiar in the Ephesians I just read there in chapter 4. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our faith is trying to mold us, right? Our God is trying, a spirit of Christ is trying to mold us into righteousness. That's why he says, do not be conformed to this world. J.B. Phillips with his paraphrase of the New Testament. I'm, my mother always liked his handling of this passage because it's rooted in the word which has to do with the conform to the image, has to do with something being pressed into a mold. Don't be pressed into the mold of this world. <coughs> I went to public school back in the 60s. We had a TV eventually for anything not achieved by the public schools was going to be achieved by the shows I watched or the commercials I saw. And I'm not saying it's bad. It's a culture. Culture is going to have one. But we're Christians. And what's odd and different about us and the rarity that it is to find a real Christian is to stand and believe God when he says things. In the book, when he's trying to do something in you, righteousness-wise, you're saying, no, I'm, I'm not going to put him aside. I'm going to think about his conformity, not my conformity to the world. So that I can prove what is the will of God. Back in the first passage, the genuineness of your faith untainted, not mixed in with your ignorance, not mixed in with your passions, not mixed in with your traditions, even the ones that have Christ's name on the traditions. They're futile. The life in Christ is the way the world is. You are changed by the Spirit of God in Christ in your life right now, and it, this world is functioning on those rules. If you persist in looking at the faith, standing in the rules of your old life, and very positively looking at the faith of Christianity, you're an outsider looking in. And you don't understand why you're struggling with obedience. Because righteousness comes from faith. You can prove what is the will of God if I don't conform myself to the world. We were ransomed from these things for the good of righteousness. Now, this is not the kind, this is such a general topic. It's not the kind of thing you can call homework. But I hope you think about it. I hope you uh, consider 
whether or not you have a vantage point that is another belief that you had not denied, whether your girlfriend's number, your ex-girlfriend's number is still in your wallet or you still have it memorized. So that at your worst moments, when things aren't going well with a new girlfriend and you drank too much, and you dial your old girlfriend's number. I mean, that's really what's, it's an illustration. You can't be in love with the ex-girlfriend. Let's thank God, dear Lord. We're very grateful that you are our God of all things that we perceive. We wish to perceive them the way you have made them, the way you have asked us to see them, not the way that the passions or the traditions have given them to us. Help us understand which of the traditions are true, but we want to stand in a place to look at our belief that is fully in the belief, not outside looking in. Help us deny what we should deny. In your son's name, amen.